previously on Areas of Agreement. Depending on how you define the issue, depending on how you bring people together, there's an opportunity for movement, action, progress on any issue. It might be economic hardship. It might be transportation or housing or the environment or education. When you think about the struggles of American healthcare, when you think about COVID-19, when there's kind of pain points that descend on all of us, rural are often the first to feel it. We have some districts in Pennsylvania that are 300 square miles. They're huge. And students live very far apart and trying to provide for students to get there without being on a bus ride of two hours each direction is huge. I grew up in a community that was always considered less than because the district didn't have the money to provide significant amounts of opportunity for students. I'm Elia Powers, and those last two voices you heard took part in the Uniting for Action Pennsylvania program featured in episode four. That episode was all about funding inequities in K-12 education. This episode also focuses on education resources. But this time, we're going up a rung and talking about community colleges. You'll hear about the work of a team that took part in the Uniting for Action America program. But it wasn't the education team, as you might expect. It was the economy team. How did a handful of people from across the country who came together to geek out on the economy end up doing a project on the future of higher education? I asked that question to two of the economy team's members. One you'll recognize if you've heard earlier episodes. Well, as one of the program organizers, I was ready to fill in anywhere. Joe Bubman is the executive director of Urban Rural Action. It's the organization that runs these national and state level programs. The other economy team member? My name is Brian Rubin. I live in Bowie, Maryland. Brian's on the Urban Rural Action leadership team and is also involved in a Maryland program on the economy. All three of us went to Northwestern University. Brian was the only one of us to play college football, though for what it's worth, Joe was the Russell Wilson of intramural football. I tell you this so the reference you're about to hear makes sense. It came as Joe shared with me a pretty daunting online document the economy team used while they were brainstorming project ideas. I have the benefit of looking at our analysis. That analysis is hosted on an app called Padlet. And as you'll hear, I had trouble making sense of the team's thought process. There were big ideas and economic buzzwords all over the page. And there were dozens of curved arrows connecting all these phrases. Yeah, your Padlet looks like the most complicated family tree I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like third cousins, or like the arrow, or like a really difficult football play. Some kind of like weird. Yeah, like Brian triple, drew it up. Triple option. Yeah. Brian yeah. I, I call corner blitz every time. <laughs> I asked Joe and Brian to explain their playbook. One thing that was clear right away: the team's problem statement. Too many people can't participate fully in our economy and have no margin for error or anything to fall back on. Much less clear was how the team was planning to address this problem. On the Padlet, arrows pointed in all directions. Some pointed to causes of the problem, like lack of job opportunities, lack of transportation, and lack of financial literacy. Other arrows pointed to the primary and secondary effects of the problem, 
Effects like physical and mental health issues leading to substance abuse and chronic homelessness. Like limited ability to affect change leading to class divisions and wealth inequality. The team had at least one person who was a liberal, conservative, and moderate. They spent a lot of time discussing the rugged individualism narrative in the US, and they had disagreements over whether resource hoarding by elites is a systemic problem. We did at one point really get hung up on both conservative and, for the lack of a better term, progressive viewpoints on the economy and how it works. But there were some areas of agreement, as Brian articulates here. I want to see anybody that has the ability and the willingness to work to earn a livable wage. I don't feel like in a nation where we have so much that people should go without. Everyone agrees that people should have the ability to work. So the unifier was the idea that everyone should be able to earn a living, and the reality that a lot of people don't. But what to do about it? Raise awareness of the problems? That seemed feasible, but inconsequential to many on the team. One intriguing idea? Create a networking website like LinkedIn, but for blue-collar workers. That seemed consequential, but not at all feasible for a small team of people who were volunteering their time. So the team felt stuck. One reason why? I don't think any of us fully agreed on what it took to get a job. Whether or not it was knowing a trade, whether or not it was who was in your Rolodex. Or what kind of degree you have. Weeks went by and the economy team couldn't decide on the right path forward. But then an opportunity arose to help an organization called Education Design Lab on a project focused on jobs and upward economic mobility. The project, called Bridges Rural, is a multi-year initiative to help rural community colleges serve as economic growth engines for students in local communities. The idea is to develop educational pathways that fill workforce needs. It's an important undertaking. About a third of undergraduate students, millions upon millions of them, attend public community colleges. These are huge numbers of people whose lives have in some way been shaped by a system of higher education that, let's be honest, gets a pretty bad rap. As this TED Talk explains, community colleges are often thought of as places where high school screw-offs and students who couldn't get into four-year colleges go to learn. I've even heard people say that they're not real colleges, that somehow it's not a real degree. In fact, getting ready for today, I looked up talks on community colleges, and guess how many I found? Yeah, zero. We're not even important enough to talk about. That they are important enough, or at least a subject of enough fascination, to base a TV sitcom around. Remember NBC's Community that ran for six seasons? Meet the freshman class of Greendale Community College. So that's one comedy TV show and zero TED Talks. Go figure. That's ridiculous. Community colleges, the largest system of higher education on the planet, connect to and serve our most important, and I would argue most undervalued asset, you. Here again is Joe. A lot of people, when they think about higher ed, they're really thinking about four-year programs. They're not thinking about how important community colleges are and how they can cater to people who haven't just come out of high school, who haven't had everything maybe fall into place for them, but who really provide meaningful opportunity to get concrete skills that can help people get jobs. Joe says linking up with the Bridges program helped his team achieve its goal of helping people without four-year college degrees get high-quality jobs. 
He liked the idea of helping students get credentials that are affordable and valued by employers in their regions. And Joe saw an overlap between what this program is trying to do and what his organization does, which is to advance peace and prevent organized violence. There are a whole host of conflict dynamics in our country, but certainly one is this idea of economic deprivation and economic hardship and unequal access to economic opportunities. And I do think that rural communities in particular, as well as many urban centers, are disadvantaged economically. And so the idea of working with rural community colleges to provide more economic opportunity to serve as an engine for economic growth, I think is great because with more economic opportunity comes more opportunities to contribute constructively to our society, more opportunities to strengthen our democracy. And it seemed like a nice fit with our overall mission. Coming up next, a close look at how a community college in rural Ohio that Joe and others learned a lot about over the past few months is using this Bridges program to reimagine what it can do to help students and improve the regional economy. Eastern Ohio a century and a half ago was a new frontier in the making, a vast land of promise. The archival video you're hearing is from a civic group promoting the small town of Zanesville, Ohio. Covered wagons rolled westward over Zane's Trace, the only trail yet to be carved out of the Ohio wilderness. Zanesville is a rural town of about 25,000 people in southeast Ohio. It's about an hour east of Columbus, right off Interstate 70. We are in the county seat of Muskingum County. That's Chad Brown, an Ohio native. We are the typical situation where someone says, oh, I drove through there once. And if you drove through, you might have seen the historic Y-shaped bridge. Zanesville um, sits on the Muskingum River, which is the largest navigable river in the state of Ohio. Within walking distance of the river is one of the most recognizable institutions in town. Welcome to ZSC. ZSC, also known as Zane State College, is a community college serving several counties. It started more than 50 years ago as a technical institute, but it's now a comprehensive community college, offering baccalaureate and transfer-oriented degrees. Chad Brown is in his 16th year at Zane State. He's led the college since 2015. President Brown and others at Zane State applied and were selected to take part in the Bridges program. That program is run by the Education Design Lab, a nonprofit organization that designs, tests, and implements higher education models that address the changing economy. There's a huge need for this kind of work in rural communities, where less than a third of adults have a post-secondary degree, and unemployment and poverty rates are often high. Leslie Darty, an education designer at the lab, knows this well. She grew up in a farming town in central Illinois and now lives in a small town outside St. Louis, Missouri. Leslie says in her sector, most of the focus is on colleges in urban and suburban areas. And so these rural communities don't even really see themselves represented. When it comes to even um, investment and grants, Community colleges aren't always, right, the number one focus on some of those innovations as well. But then when you drill down to rural community colleges, you know, they're even receiving less of that. The Bridges program is an effort to change that, 
Zane State, along with College of Eastern Idaho, Eastern Maine Community College, Finger Lakes Community College, and Washington State Community College, are all on this initiative to explore ways to innovate. Like learn more about what is working within their communities and also like how they might be able to better serve some of those populations that they haven't served in the past in some way, shape or form. And really with the focus again with the lab is bringing that um, economic piece into it. So how can they really become that catalyst for economic growth within their communities? The end goal is producing prototype models and pilot designs that rural community colleges across the country can implement. To help the colleges do this, the Education Design Lab uses what's known as a human-centered design approach. That means bringing a lot of people to the table, administrators and faculty, staff, students, even community leaders, and asking what goals they have for themselves. Early on in this process, participants do a very thorough self-assessment of their college and the surrounding community. What's working well? What opportunities are there? What's not working? What are the barriers? The lab calls this exercise a gallery walk. Usually in non-COVID times, people literally walk around a room like a gallery and look at comments that they and others have written. But for now, the gallery is virtual, but same idea. The Zane State contingent took part in this exercise this spring. They had a lot to say about the community and the region. In the assets category, they wrote things like safe, friendly, affordable, great schools, and small town atmosphere. A lot of people who grew up in the region want to stay there, like Zane State student Madeline Gillenwater, who spent her whole life in Rushville, Ohio, a small town about 35 miles from the college. I love the community that I live in. Um, everyone there is super nice. I love the events that we have and just the fact that we are a super close-knit community. A community like many others around it that long had a clear identity. We have a rich. Uh art history, much of that history is in pottery. Generations ago in Zanesville, Ohio, skilled hands shaped a reputation for well-made pottery. Today, new artisans are reviving the industry. Zanesville Pottery, Ohio's destination pottery source. Tour our main store for Fiesta Wear, European specialty pottery, and more. Zanesville aims to recapture a part of its rich pottery history with a prize like no other. Pottery and craftsmanship in general are celebrated in Southeast Ohio. The region used to employ a lot of artisans and factory workers. One of the larger employers was a company you might have heard of if you're a picnic lover. Longeberger baskets are simply the very best hand-woven baskets made in the entire world. But the company with the unusual looking headquarters fell on hard times. It's hard to believe that just a few years ago, there were thousands of people flocking to have their picture taken at the iconic Apple Basket and stroll the fake Main Street built to evoke a bit of old-time Americana. The office was sold and the company ceased operations in 2018. And that's been a common story for companies in the region, including those in or near Zanesville. Because it was a big city, it was on the rivers at a time when rivers were important. Uh, there's been lots of manufacturing, and over the years, we have seen that manufacturing base get smaller and smaller and smaller. Among the biggest challenges people cited during the gallery walk were the lack of decent-paying jobs, specifically in manufacturing. There were a lot of other concerns. Poverty, drug and alcohol addiction, lack of diversity, aging infrastructure, lack of culture, and not enough for young people to do. People 
who were born here and have been raised here have always been told it's a community at risk. And the young people have always been set up to say, you got to get out. You know, they want to get away to Columbus or they want to leave town and never come back. There are people like Madeline who want to stay in the region or move back after college. But brain drain is a recurring problem. And getting people to go to college is another uphill battle. Among 25 to 34-year-olds, for instance, just 12% have an associate's degree, and 13% have a bachelor's degree, meaning that three-fourths of people in the region have no advanced degree at all. President Brown says it's common in the community, for young men especially, to get a full-time job right out of high school and take care of their family. Those who took part in the gallery walk said there are a lot of barriers to attending Zane State, things like inadequate preparation for college lack of family and community support for higher ed, the need to make a living, housing insecurity, the list goes on. President Brown says that for adult learners, childcare is a major roadblock. For younger learners, and especially for the sizable population of students who are the first in their family to attend college, a big challenge is just understanding how to navigate the higher ed system. A lot of these students come from generational poverty and are eligible for Pell Grants, meaning they display exceptional financial need. Zane State has funds to help when a student experiences hardship, and for many students, it doesn't take much to get thrown off course. The students that we work with are just one blown tire away from not being able to attend. What many of us would consider insignificant financial hurdles that we have to overcome, you know, you need $500 to fix your car, or even a book can derail a student. Enrollment has dropped significantly at Zane State in recent years. As recently as 2014, there were more than 3,000 students on campus. Now, there are roughly 1,300, not counting the dual-enrolled high school students. When the economy is strong, as it had been prior to the pandemic, community colleges typically see a drop in students because there are lots of jobs to be had. When there's a recession, usually community colleges see enrollment gains. But COVID-19 has scrambled everything. Community colleges across the country have lost students in the last year. Zane State saw a 9% decline between spring 2020 and this spring. But even before COVID, student enrollment was sliding, especially among adult learners. Dwindling enrollment presents a financial challenge for the college. But for students, there are some upsides. Here again is Madeline. I love that the classes are small and that we really get that like individual time. They know me. They know everybody in the room. Supportive faculty and staff were commonly listed as assets. But the faculty and staff who took part in the gallery walk said they felt they were doing more with less. Simply put, the college doesn't have the resources it needs. Another major challenge? Students often slip through the cracks. The first-year retention rate is just above 50%, meaning that a lot of students who start at Zane State don't come back, at least right away, for their second year. The three-year graduation rate is also just above 50%, which might sound low, but it's actually a lot higher than the state average for community colleges. Students stop enrolling in classes for a variety of reasons. Financial problems, mental health issues, childcare and family issues were listed. Faculty and staff say it's hard for them to help students outside the classroom. As one person who works at Zane State wrote in the gallery walk, 
I can't babysit their children. I can't take care of their parents. I can't pay their bills. Students all over the country are faced with these kind of challenges. But rural students are likely to face additional problems, like lack of reliable Wi-Fi, a big issue during the past year. Another major issue is just getting to campus, as Joe learned when he spoke with an instructor at Zane State. We were talking about transportation, the way it can be really difficult to navigate the roads during bad weather, and how that's a struggle for learners to get to class and to commit to enrollment. And then, of course, there are the affordability issues. And what does it mean to actually be affordable when someone is, you know, working also full time and supporting a family um, and doing all of these other things in their life? Some states offer students the chance to apply for free community college tuition. Hi, everyone. Are you living in California and want to go to college for free? California provides a program where you can get your degree for tuition free. The University of Hawaii wants to provide free community college education for all students with financial needs through a scholarship program called Hawaii's Promise. And there's a push to do that nationally. Community college, they should be free in my view. There goes that big spending Biden again, man. But it's not there yet. Here's Miriam Swords-Cock, Leslie's colleague at the lab. The biggest theme that has stood out is just cost and time. The pressure that so many learners feel to prioritize, understandably, working right now to support themselves and their families and not knowing about or not actually having options to simultaneously work and go to school. Miriam says there's also a lot of uncertainty about what the labor market and these rural communities will look like in the near future. What are the jobs in my area that could grow into a career for me that I'm interested in and that are still going to be around in five years? What we've heard from our institutions is that they feel like that they have some really good employers in the area, but there's just that disconnect about like, what are the skills that are needed? And what do you study at a community college to get those skills? At Zane State, some of the most popular programs are liberal arts, business management, engineering, and health professions. That makes sense given that a lot of jobs in Southeast Ohio are in healthcare, engineering technology, and manufacturing and distribution. President Brown says a lot of times, students aren't aware of the in-demand careers in fields like medical laboratories and in protection and controls. Most students at Zane State are in terminal programs, but some, like Madeline, go on to four-year institutions. She earned a full scholarship to the college in 2019. She's studying business management and real estate, and is about to graduate with an associate's degree this spring. Madeline got to know Zane State well over her time there. She had mostly good things to say about her experience at Zane State, but she did have a critique. There aren't a lot of good places on campus for people to spend time. Coming up next, what ideas do people at Zane State have to build a greater sense of community and improve the school-to-workforce pipeline? How does the Education Design Lab help colleges like Zane State go from the brainstorming stage to the pilot project design stage? And how did members of the Uniting for Action America economy team play a role in this initiative? The Bridges program, funded by the nonprofit Ascendium Education Group, launched about a year ago. Miriam and Leslie spent a lot of time in those first few months doing research about rural communities and colleges. Once the cohort of community colleges was selected, Everyone gathered online in January for a kickoff event. 
representatives from the lab and each college meet bi-weekly for discussions and workshops. There are ongoing online discussions between the gatherings and lots of chances for participants to share ideas with each other. The first phase of the structured design process, the part involving the gallery walks, is all about colleges getting a better understanding of who they are, what they need, and how they can innovate. Information about this is gathered in a lot of ways, through surveys, focus groups, and interviews. To help with this, the economy team spoke with a handful of people at the five community colleges about their goals and challenges. Here again is Leslie. We're already sort of the outsider looking in a little bit, but then they gave us a whole different lens to look at the work that we're doing, the work that the community college is doing from their perspectives. Brian spoke to an alum of Southern Maine Community College about a lot of the issues we've heard about already. One part of the conversation that stood out to him, the need for more diversity in the student body. I didn't expect to have that conversation about diversity with him. And obviously we talk about rural, but when we think about rural places, it's often painted as predominantly white. And it's our way of, of talking about white poverty or talking about white lack of opportunity. I didn't think I was going to make a call to Bangor, Maine and talk about racial diversity and the need for it. The conversations that Brian and others on his team had were all part of this understanding phase. Through this, the colleges get a clearer sense of what they want to focus on in the design challenge. And then we take all of those learnings, and then that becomes the foundation for our ideation process, which is our second phase of the design process. In ideation, which is really just a fancy word for brainstorming, we encourage our partners to come up with as many ideas as they can that they think connect to and respond to what they learned in the understand phase. There are a lot of interesting ideas. Several colleges are interested in micro-credential programs. These allow students to demonstrate that they have the skills needed to get hired. The Zane State contingent put a lot of ideas on the table, like a model in which students have their tuition paid by working at the college, or one in which they attend school two days a week and work living wage jobs for three. Another idea is to create a one-stop shop for single parents so they could get childcare while shopping, taking care of other tasks, and also going to school. What intrigued me most from the list was an idea for an Appalachian Arts College. The idea is to build on existing resources and facilities to focus on skills, trades, and entrepreneurship. President Brown has been championing this idea. There are a lot of what we would consider Appalachian skills or Appalachian heritage arts type things like blacksmithing, gunsmithing, and pottery. And when you look at those different things, they have a lot of relation to work we're already doing. Zane State has the facilities to make this happen. There's a satellite campus about 30 minutes away that's no longer in use due to low enrollment in COVID-19. The college used to have a welding program, but that's no longer running. President Brown wants to bring in local experts to teach students trades they can use to find jobs at small-scale manufacturing companies, or to work for themselves. We need to take this often thought of concept of Appalachian malaise and turn it into a mindset of a progressive Appalachian. And I think the only way to do that is to empower people. And probably the easiest way to do that is to take advantage of the resources you already have. Let's teach these skills that in a lot of ways are disappearing and dying skills. 
pottery is one that it's found in who we are. Why not embrace it? President Brown says there's a lot of interest in the idea. Here again is Madeline. I think that if the college were to develop more trades programs, that the people out in my region would be extremely interested in improving on the skills that they already have that maybe they learned just growing up. I think that a lot of people would love to have those kind of classes because there are a lot of people that are interested in that stuff that don't necessarily have the opportunity to go to do things like that and learn different trades that they're interested in. Whether Zane State pursues this Appalachian Arts College for the Bridges program remains to be seen. Right now, the college's contingent is riffing on ideas and talking about potential ways to develop them further. And all of that leads us into the prototyping phase, which is the third stage of our design process where our teams take what they feel like are their most promising ideas and then further develop them, turn them into testable prototypes that they can put in front of different stakeholders within their communities including learners, um, get feedback from them, continue to iterate on them, eventually pick one of those things that feels most promising um, and high impact to them and turn that into a pilot and launch it. I asked Brian, the economy team member, how he'd measure whether his involvement in the program was a success. If somehow my interview, my participation in what they're doing will contribute to folks that are often on the margins or often left out, if they're able to make a livable wage. And I won't know that for a long time, but that it still remains my hope. Coming up on the next episode, a conversation with two people who have spent a lot of time in rural communities about why in recent years there's been so much attention paid to rural America. Thanks for listening.